Jesus, today we do thank you that we no longer have to hide from your presence. We no longer have to cower in sin and shame. But Lord, we thank you that you have said, come boldly before the throne of grace, that you may obtain mercy in time of need. You call us into the most intimate place, the highest place in the universe, the throne room of God. Lord, we would never dare imagine that we could come to such a place. But Lord, you've invited each one of us, called us by name. and You've said, come. Don't just come cowering. Walk boldly, confidently, not in what you've done, but secure and rested in what I've done. Lord, we thank you. It is by grace, like we've sung, it is by grace that we are saved. Not of works, all of our works are just like filthy rags. There's nothing good in them. But Lord, we thank you. When we couldn't work, you went to work. You went and worked on our behalf and you did what we could never do. We would never have done what you did. When you died on the cross, Lord. Oh, Jesus. And you completed the work. You said, it is finished. You brought it all to a wonderful conclusion. Lord, whilst wicked men thought that they had won the day, whilst evil spirits thought that they had conquered you, your word of finish, Lord, summed it all up. And God also rose you from the dead and seated you at the right hand and seated us in you too. And Lord, we rest in that. We trust in that. We are secure in that. It is not by our works because you said that you work within us. It is God who works within you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. Thank you for working inside us. Thank you for performing your will. We don't have to sweat and fret and worry to try and work your will out. But it's God who works within us, both to will and to do His good pleasure. Thank you. We can rest, we can trust, and we can just say, go ahead, use my life in whatever way you want. Use my life for your glory. Lord God, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So be it. So be it. Hallelujah. Come on, let's give him a shout this morning. Woo! And before you're seated, turn and welcome somebody, say hello to somebody. And then we're going to get into God's word this morning. Fantastic. Woohoo! Brilliant. Wasn't it great to see Dale do the tithes and offerings this morning? Come on, let's give Dale a big cheer. Woohoo! Absolutely fantastic. And um, Dale's going to be ministering on, I think it's the 16th of August. So I'm telling you, get ready. It's so exciting. We had Carl a few weeks ago, Carl O'Dare. What a wonderful word Carl brought about the Father's heart. Haley Corley, come on. Pastor Ray, I spent an hour with Pastor Ray this week, and I'm telling you now, oh man, he was just packed full of the word. What a joy it was just to listen to him unpack God's word from his heart. I was so enriched and so blessed. Pastor Ray is going to be ministering on the 19th of July, um, so be ready for that. And at the end of July, Dave Morgan from King Swansea is going to be ministering with us. So I tell you, we've got some action-packed uh, weeks and months ahead of us where, that we can really just come expectant and be enriched from God's word. It's great to have you know, a multiplicity of people, servants of God, anointed by God, gifted by God to teach us and help us in our walk in Christ, isn't it? It really is. 
Fantastic. This morning, I want us to just return to uh, what we've been looking at just for a few weeks now, um, just regarding God's rest, the rest that he wants us to enter when it comes to our lives in Christ. This rest is a result of what Jesus has accomplished and what Jesus has finished in his death and resurrection. It's a dimension of life, like Dale said, that is completely supernatural. Yes, we have a natural life. Yes, uh, we have a life sometimes that, that seems so broken and so fragmented. Sometimes it seems that it's confusing and we don't know where to go. But there is a dimension of life that has been given to us. There is a dimension of life that we can have access to that is supernatural. And when we walk in that life, whilst our world around us may be troubled, whilst the world around us may have more questions than answers, we have a life inside us that is dynamic, that is active, that is the very life, Jesus says, of God, the Zoe life of God. And from that life, we can remain rested in a troubled world. From that life, we can remain secure and we can bring answer to our world where there is more questions than answers. We can bring direction and hope and help from that life that is in us. I want to read to you again from just Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 to verse 2. It says, therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as them. And when he talks about them, he's talking about the children of Israel. When God um, delivered them from Egypt and took them through the wilderness and God made them his people. For, the, for indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Now this morning, I just want us to think about some of the enemies of entering into God's rest. Some of the enemies, some of the barriers, some of the restrictions that sometimes face each one of us of entering into this rest. Just three simple ones that I've thought of. There's probably a lot more, but just three simple ones for us to think about this morning. Three enemies, three potential enemies that could be a hindrance to you entering into this supernatural life that God has for you. Just three simple ones. Firstly, unresolved issues with the past. Secondly, problems in our present that seem bigger than us. And then finally, suspicion and fear about the future. Unresolved issues with the past. Sometimes one of the biggest enemies of us going forward into everything that God has for us is our past. Some of the biggest issues that we face in our lives is not with everything that God has ahead of us, but what's behind us. It sometimes seems as if we're dragging a corpse behind us. It sometimes seems that the actions and the, the days that have gone by haunt us like a horror story. It's like, it's like a bad dream. It's like a nightmare. And sometimes the people of God struggle to put closure on their past. Many times, one of the biggest enemies to entering into the rest, the life, the abundance, the blessing that God has for you is unresolved issues with your past. Do you know God gives us promises for our lives? God gives us promises for our lives showing us that he is committed not to our past but to our future. God gives us, as Peter says, great and precious promises, not cheap thoughts. You know, not a bag full of cheap thoughts that leave you unfulfilled, that don't ever amount to anything. No, God gives you promises for your life so that you can have a hope, 
so that you can have a future, so that you can be secure in his word. But very often, we, we fail to release those promises in our lives. Like the children of Israel, we, we hear the word, we, we know that there are promises, but we fail to unite them with a faith, a heart faith inside of us. And, and those promises seem out there in the distance, and it's a distance that we can never reach beyond. But we have to understand that God has promises for our lives. And that is a very, that, that's a very real demonstration that God is committed to your future more than he is with your past. He really is. The only, the only word and promise that God gives you regarding your past is this. As far as the east is from the west, I will remember your sins no more. God chooses constantly not to go down memory lane with your life. He chooses to close the door on your past and on my past. Thank God for that. He really does. He's got no interest in your past. His interest is in fulfilling his great and precious promises regarding your life. His interest is in you becoming everything he's imagined you to be in Christ Jesus, his son. That's what he wants to release over us. But very often, you know, we uh, walk down memory lane. We, we, we regret and, and we reminisce and we go down the corridors of, of life gone by. And we, we linger there. And our life, it seems... Is, it, it seems as if it's on pause, but God wants, to, God wants us to believe his promises regarding the past. I remember it no more, he says. I've got no interest in that old past. It's closed. It's finished. It's over. God dealt a blow on your past and on my past when it came to the cross of Jesus. He put your past on Christ. He put my past on Christ and then he buried it and he put it in hell. And when Christ was risen from the dead, he says, there's a new you now. There's a new future that I have for you. All things have passed away. That's God's commitment to your past. It's gone. It's over. It's past. Leave it there. Allow me to have a final say on your past. It's gone. Old things are past. They've gone. Behold, all things have become new. Isaiah 43, 18 to 19, God speaking to his people. Because, you know, this isn't just a present problem that people have in the church. This is an old problem that's just attached to human beings, wanting to encourage them, wanting to move them away from the past. God says to his people, do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you know it? Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Hallelujah. We've got to trust God. We have got to trust him, take him at his word and believe it. You know, there's a wonderful saying uh, that Watchman E once said regarding this whole area of rest, regarding this whole area of trust. He said this, the difference between trusting and trying is the difference between heaven and hell. You can try and be a Christian all you want. You can try and unpack this Christ life in you and it will be hell. You can try and follow God through religious duties, fastings, prayings, and whatever other religious discipline you want to concoct, but it will be hell for you. Read Romans 7. Paul tried his hardest to be a moral man. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And then at the end of it all, after he had discovered that he couldn't work his way to God, he said, oh, wretched man that I am. This is a Pharisee of Pharisees. This was a moral man. This was a man that seemingly had everything in place. But then he had to fall onto his knees and say, do you know the good that I will to do, I can't do 
There's a contrary power working in my flesh. I can't get to God through my flesh. And he tried and he tried to follow God as a religious man. And it ended in his acknowledgement that he was completely wretched and incapable. That's what trying will do. But suddenly he sees Jesus and he moves into another chapter of his life that we read in Romans chapter 8. And he says, there is no condemnation now for those that are in Christ Jesus. Now he's trusting. Now he's being led by the Spirit. The, the 40 or so I and I am pronouns that are in Romans 7 are no longer in Romans 8. He's not looking at the I. He's looking at Christ. He's looking at the Spirit. And he's trusting and he's living in heaven not hell. I'm telling you now, we have to trust in him and him alone. Jesus has finished it all. We look to him. He's completed everything. He's done all the work. He's done all the work. He really has. Do you know you were not born to work? Do you know that? That's really good news for some of us. You weren't born to work. Now, I'm not saying, listen, please, I'm not belittling the employment that we have, the jobs that we have, the businesses we have. I'm not saying that we don't work in those areas. The Bible encourages us to be entrepreneurial. The Bible encourages us to flourish and be blessed in our businesses. The Bible encourages us to work hard. I'm not talking about that kind of work. There are people here and they are working harder than they've ever done because of the blessing and the anointing of God and the life of God inside them. He's given them an energy and an ability to build businesses. No, when we talk about, and when we say that God has not created you to work, we're not talking about daily work and living. We do that to the glory of God. Paul was a tent maker. Now, we're not talking about that kind of work. We're talking about when, 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 we, when we say that God has not created us to work, we, we're saying this, that God has not created us to work for his approval, work for his affection, work to get intimacy and closeness from him. No, God has not designed us for that. When you look back in the book of Genesis, you see that God did the work. Genesis chapter 1, he created the world. He created the universe over six days. On the first day, he said, let there be light, and there was light. And then it says, and evening and morning the first day. And then on the second day, he did something else. There was another aspect of his creation, and it went all the way through to six days. And each day, at the end of each day, it said, and you can read it in Genesis 1, and evening and morning the second day, and evening and morning the third day, and evening and morning the sixth day. On the sixth day, Adam was created. On the five days that God created, he judged his work. He scrutinized his work. He looked at it and inspected it and saw that it was good. But when Adam came forward, and when God created Adam out of the dust of the earth, he said, he's very good. It was the pinnacle of his work when he created man. It was everything that God wanted. And he created him in his image. And in his likeness, he created them. So on the sixth day, it says, God ended his work. It was the sum total of his work when he created man and woman. And then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, Adam's first day was entering into God's seventh day. Adam's first day was entering into God's rest. And from that place of rest, Adam would have a right relationship with God. From that place of rest, Adam would reign in life. God said to him, tend the garden and have dominion over the earth. Adam was created to rest. Adam was created to have relationship. Adam was created to reign in life, to have dominion. That is why God created him. And there was harmony and there was peace. And there was symphony in his life. 
But if you want to see what happens when we step out of our rest, look at Genesis 3. The serpent came and deceived Eve and said, has God said? You see, what is the root of every fear in your life? What is the root of every fear? It's a question. It's a question that you struggle to answer. Has God really said that you can't eat of any tree? You see how, he, how his deception is so cunning. God had only said that they couldn't eat of one tree, and that was the tree of the good, the knowledge of the good of, of good and evil. And Eve begins to converse with this serpent. And then the the the, the, the questions go to his logical end where he says, don't you know that if you eat of the tree, you'll, you'll be like God? Now, that's where they should have stepped in and interrupted him and put him in his place. Excuse me, we already are like God. We're made in his likeness. We're made in his image. But they didn't do that. They took of the tree. And suddenly, what happens? In that moment, they lose their rest. They lose their place and their position where they were reigning and ruling and, and in right relationship with God. And suddenly, God hasn't even appeared on the scene yet. God hasn't done anything. And suddenly, they're battling and they're trying to cover themselves because they see themselves as naked. And God then suddenly comes walking in the cool of the day. He says, Adam, where are you? Where are you? God wasn't asking the question because he didn't know where Adam was. God wanted Adam to understand where he had fallen to. He said, we're hiding. We're naked. We haven't even got any wife fronts on. Suddenly this harmony and this rest turns into strife. Anger, accusation, and blame. It's the woman that you gave me. In one statement, he brings judgment and accusation and suspicion and anger on the two most precious relationships in his life, his wife and God. It's the woman you gave me. And suddenly, now they're expelled from the garden, and he's got to work the ground from the sweat of his brow and there's a there's 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 a consequence for the woman that in her labor in childbirth there will be pain and there's the rest is gone God has Adam has left God's Sabbath rest for his life there's no trust but suspicion but I believe that not only Adam left his rest this is just my personal belief but God left his too. Because now he was going to work. He was going and rolling his sleeves up. When we leave our rest, when we leave our place of trust, when we do not have that harmonious relationship with God through trust, not through effort, not through trying, but through trust. Things get complicated, things get hard, things get difficult. But in Christ Jesus, as we looked at last week, we have been recovered and restored and lifted and raised to a place of rest whereby we are positioned and seated in him in heavenly places. I remember... Just hearing a story about a great man of God called Austin Sparks. He's dead now. Wrote many books. Great man of God. And uh, he, he met three of his friends one day. Probably a bit like Job's friends. And, um, you know, his demeanor was a bit downcast. And one man thought he'd be clever. It was a pastor. He thought he'd be clever. And he said, Austin, you need to start looking up in life. And by the Spirit, this man of God just turned to him and gently said, I can only look down from where I'm sitting. 
You see, there is a place in God where you can reign in life. You may not always be able to put a smile on your face. You may not always be able to be the life and the soul of the party. But you don't have to be the life and the soul of the party. You don't have to be standing on the chair and shouting yippee, yippity doo da, yippity day. You see, you are positioned in Christ, seated in Him. And the only thing that you can do in life is not look up, but look down on it. Because He lives in you, and you live in Him, and move in Him, and have your very being in Him. And He wants to give us access to this life. He really does. So one of the enemies of, of, of moving into God's rest, living into God's living in God's rest, is unresolved issues with the past. But God has promise about our past that He wants us to trust in, that He wants us to rely on. And He says, as far as the east is from the west, I remember your sin no more. Don't let any past sin come and haunt you, come and threaten you, come and make you feel guilty. Believe what He has said over what your past is saying. Paul looking at his past, says, this one thing I do, this one thing I give myself to, forgetting the things that are behind, I press on toward the upward call in Christ Jesus. Be like Paul, do this one thing, forget what's behind you, and believe everything that God has for you. This will give us access to this rest. It really will. Also, Another enemy of entering into God's rest is the problems, the present problems that we face that seem bigger than us. You know, I've been looking recently just again at the deliverance that God performed when he took his people out of Egypt. If you know the story in Exodus, in Exodus, you see God's people. They'd been in slavery for 400 years. Now, just imagine this. A few million people, a few million Israelites had been in slavery for 400 years. But God, you see, had spoken a promise to Abraham 430 years before they'd even got to Egypt, before anyone was even in Egypt. And God had told Abraham that he was going to send his people in Egypt, send his people to Egypt, that they were going to face affliction for 400 years. Now, God is talking about things that haven't even happened. You see, he is the God that does exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. He calls things that are not as though they were. That's the God that we're dealing with. This isn't natural. This is supernatural. This is the God that you have fellowship with. This is the God that invites you into his throne room that you can come and present your request to. Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. Ask anything in my name and I will do it. He doesn't give you a cheap promise. He doesn't give you a cheap offer. He gives you a certain promise for your life. Go to him with your cares. Go to him with your worries. Anyway, he turns up to Moses. And Moses is a bit freaked out. He said, well, they're not going to believe me. I can't even talk. I'm a stutterer. What can I do? Who shall I say has sent me? He says, say that I am has sent you. And Moses, cut a long story short, goes and you can read it in Exodus chapter 5. He goes into Pharaoh and, and he just delivers a simple word. He says, let my people go. That's what God says. And Pharaoh looks at him and he, th he thinks, who do you think you are? Who are you anyway? Where do you come from? Pharaoh responds and says, I'm not letting them go anywhere. You want them to go into the wilderness for three days and have a feast before God? You've got another thing coming. They are working for me. You see, the whole issue here 
in the Exodus and the whole, the, the whole ploy behind that slavery was work. Work. They're working for me, he says. And he says this, and it's interesting when you read it. He said, I'm not letting them go anywhere. They might get rest. He said, they might become rested. Right, for that, I'll counteract what you're saying. I'll counteract what your God is declaring by increasing their work, by increasing the quota. I'll take the straw away and I'll increase their labor because in fact, now remember Israel had already built numerous cities for the Egyptians and this is what, this is what Pharaoh said, they're idle. So this whole challenge begins and it's all about God's people entering into God's rest and Pharaoh rises up. I'm telling you now, you are gonna, you, many of us are at a threshold where God wants us to step over into the rest that he has for us. You watch what tries to rise up to hinder you entering into that rest that God's got for you. You watch. But I tell you, don't bow down to it. Stand up strong against it. Enter into this life of trust, this life of accepting Jesus as completing all of the work for you on your behalf. And this whole exchange and this banter begins, but God delivers them by his mighty hand. And he performs plague after plague after plague. You do not mess with God. And as they go out from Egypt, it says that the Egyptians were, in the end, the Egyptians were begging them to leave. You play with God? People play with God? Oh, you don't want God as your enemy. Oh, but he's all loving. Yeah, he is. But he resists the proud. He gives grace and favor to the humble. Remember we said that? James says it. It says, God resists the proud, but gives grace and favor to the humble. He resists. Just imagine the one that flung the stars into space, that positioned the sun and the moon that holds the universe by the word of his power. Imagine him resisting you. You don't want to be proud in his presence. He will resist you. Imagine having almighty God, the great I am, the one that has no ancestor, the one that has no predecessor, the all-sufficient God. Imagine him resisting you. But if you're humble in heart, broken in spirit, contrite, dependent, he won't resist you. He will assist you. He will assist you. And he'll throw grace on every step. Every step. Every step that you take, he will throw grace, grace, favor. Unimaginable blessing on you. Just keep your heart right. Stay humble before him. Stay open. And he assisted his people. And he, it actually says, see, God can do anything, absolutely anything. It says he, he raised Pharaoh up and he made him hard. God actually was on the board playing chess. Pharaoh Moses, right, I'm going to make Pharaoh really hard here. I want him to resist me. He's an evil man. He's not, not known my ways. He's been vicious to the people. Wicked. I'll make him even harder so that I can shine and my glory can come forth. And God brought that nation right to its knees. You don't play with him, I tell you. You do not play with God. He'll bring you to your knees. Not you, um, but, you know. He will. He will bring you to your knees. And he brought them to their knees and he led his people out, not rushing them. You see, I remember God saying to me once, he said, Dave, stop rushing. When you stop, when you, when you rush about like you're rushing about, you lose your place of rest. Stop it. Prepare better. 
take time and do what you've got to do correctly instead of going as far as you can go and then running off and rushing. Don't do it. Don't want you to lose your position of rest. Now, God didn't rush them out. Quick, quick, quick. You got the money. I brought them to their knees. Quick, let's get out of here as quick as we can because it's our moment. No, they just walk out. Walk out. Rested. There's no panic. Well, there's a bit, bit of panic a bit later and we'll get to that. But not God ain't panicked. Just have a little walk. We're going to walk out of Egypt now. Two million people just leaving a nation. I think that's quite spectacular. I think that's incredible. And it's in. <laughs> it's in the book. He can do anything. Absolutely anything. You don't believe that he can do it for you because you don't believe you're important enough. You think it's little old you. You look back at your past and you think, well, I've done all of this and my life is cheap. No, you're wrong again. You're wrong again. You've been bought with a price. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation belonging to God. You're not cheap. No way. When you speak to God, when you come into his presence in your home and in your bedroom and you speak to him and you say, oh God, I love you. I worship you. And you ask him, Lord, would you help me? There's this circumstance. I can't deal with it, Lord, but I've come to give it to you. I've come to put my little post-it note on your, on your wall, oh God, and I leave it with you and your wisdom and your sovereignty. You'll deal with it. You'll mold it and you'll craft it and you'll work it because that's what you do. You work all things. You're a worker. You're a mixer. And you can take the bad things, the evil things, the wicked things, and you can craft them and work them to your glory. Come on, church. He's awesome. He is awesome. My God, he's awesome. He is awesome. Leads him out. Go over there. By that sea. Hmm. Now that's an immediate problem. A very pressing present problem that's bigger than them. There's a sea before them and a wilderness around them. The Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. But on this occasion, everybody was looking round. Faith wasn't there. And all they could see was wilderness. They were shut in. They were hemmed in. Yes, that's right. God brings us into things that are bigger than us. God takes us on journeys on a sea in a little boat. And then he allows the wave and the wind to tip the boat and fill the boat till the point that we're panicking. Oh, don't you know that we're perishing? And we have to wake him up because he's sleeping and resting in the storm. He loves it. It's normal to him. He rests and trusts. In God's sovereignty. He knows that God is there in every moment. He knows that God is in the storm. But we are frail and weak. And we use our eyes and we interpret what we see. As being bigger than what God has said. He said, you're going to the other side. But what they saw was bigger than what he said. And what, when you see Things that are bigger than what he said. Your doubt and unbelief thrive and you fear and you question. Master, don't you care? What a question. What a question to ask the Son of God. Don't you care? But you see, when you see things and those things are bigger than what he has spoken, you will doubt his love for you. You will doubt his care. You will think that he's taken you down some kind of weird road and that you're going to perish. And he gets up from a, from a boat that had been filled with water and his garments was wet and his body was wet and yet he slept in it all. 
That's what faith can do. Rested. And from his rest, he spoke rest to the sea. He spoke rest to the wind. And every devil in hell had to obey him. He didn't sweat on the bow of the boat and say, Almighty God. He said, Peace, be still. And it was so. That's what the rested life does. The rested life speaks to the storm, sleeps in the storm. It never looks at the present problems in a way that's beyond the promises of God. And they looked like we would look. Because please, I'm speaking to you by the Spirit of God. But I'll tell you now, I would have been waking Jesus up before they woke him up. My God, I'd have been saying, God, what are you doing? <laughs> ah! I've done it many times. Many times. Peace be still. And they said, what manner? What manner of man is this? That he can speak to the winds. He can speak to the waves. And they obey him. They obey him. The wind obeys him. The, the waves obey him. Suddenly it was like a mill pond. What manner of man is this? They saw. What did they see? They didn't just see. Wind and wave. Coming to an end. They saw rest. And it's that rest. In the midst of terrific trouble. That's a beautiful sight. An amazing sight. Ah, oh, time is going. They get to the, a very precarious place. And suddenly, their past is catching up with them. Because Pharaoh's on his way with his armies. He's changed his mind now. Even though the firstborn lie dead in Egypt, there's another pride arising in his heart. And even though he'd seen the resistance of God, he rises up and he gets all of his armies to follow him. And he is on his way to take them back. Exodus 14, verse 10 to 12. I'm going to ask some musicians to come up. Give me 10 more minutes. Please. Woo! Come on, Jesus! Exodus 14, verse 10 to 12. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, you have taken us away to die in the wilderness. There's no rest in that. They're plagued with fear. Why? Questions after question. Why have you done this? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Struggling to believe what God was about to do. You see, God is, un, God is in the untried. God's in the untested. God's in the unknown. But we like the tried. We like the tested. We like the known. But you see, we have to walk by faith, not by sight. And it's a beautiful picture when you read of Israel in the wilderness. It's a beautiful picture of transformation, of, of God working in the life of an individual as he works in the life of a nation. And they struggle and they strive and they come out with all of their accusations against Moses and against God. And there's all of this suspicion and all of this fear, even though they'd seen all of the miracles that God had done. Angry, anxious. Moses comes forward. 
Two million people in a riot. Can you imagine two million people saying that? Can you imagine the, the volume of it? The shouts, the chaos, the division. Crazy. Moses, one man comes forward, rested and secure in God. It's a real place, people. It's a real dimension. I am here as a signpost to say, rest this way. Rest this way. I cannot give you this rest. I can't even give myself it. But I'm telling you now, by the Spirit of God, He is ready to take us over into a place where we are going to enter into His rest. There's going to be a new level of trust, a new level of faith. Things are going to begin to happen, not because of what you, you do, but because of what He's done. Hallelujah. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How will he not with him freely give us all things? That's not a cheap promise. That is a guarantee ratified in the blood of Christ Jesus. No devil in hell can counter it. It's for you and it's for me. A great and a precious promise that the Spirit of God is going to make a reality in your life. He's not going to give you religion. He's going to give you relationship. He's not going to give you religion. He's going to give you a reality of His presence where you will not fear, where you will not be anxious. Be anxious for nothing, my God. How is it possible? It's possible because God said it. God said it. Woo! You're not going to be like these fearful Egyptians. You're going to reign in life. You're going to be more than a conqueror through Christ who strengthens you. That's what He thinks of you. Never leave you. Never forsake you. You're going to be like Moses. He said to the people, do not be afraid. Now you've got an army of Egyptians, the noise. The volume of it all, the chaos and the madness of this crazy Pharaoh with all of his might coming to destroy. And you get one man standing up in the rest of God saying, do not fear. Do not be afraid, people. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. The only position that God wants you to take up when he is going to fight for you is a place of peace, a place of rest. Just sit back like Elisha when he was in his room and those Syrian armies surrounded his room and the fearful servant ran in and said, what are we going to do? Do not fear, he said. Do not fear. Those who are for us are far more than those that are against us. You may look out of the window and see the hillside arrayed with an army that seems so undefeatable. Lord, open his eyes. Suddenly the veil is pulled back and he sees all of the angels of God ready to assist one man who is in a place of rest. And Elisha took that army and he took them to Samaria. They were all struck with blindness and he took them to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said, shall we kill them? Shall we slay them? He said, no, let them go. And suddenly their eyes were opened. And they went back to their king and there was peace in the land. Oh my God, there's a place of rest. A place of rest that's been accomplished and achieved by Jesus. And none other than Jesus. Stand still, he says. A posture of rest. Your past, you're never going to see it again. In Christ, your past does not exist. It doesn't exist. It does not exist. All of the wrongdoing, all of the things that you would think disqualify you where you've got failure written over your head. No, you've not got failure written over your head. You've got the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus written over your head. The very moral fiber of God re resides in your spirit, friends. Stand still. 
Stand still while the debt collector comes. Stand still whilst unemployment tries to rule your life. Stand still whilst the, the, the voices of guilt from the past come and try and taunt you. Stand still. See the salvation of your God. Then something wonderful happens. Do you know the amazing thing about God is that he can be light and darkness at the same time? It's what he does. How can you do that? How can you be light and darkness at the same time? Ah! Well, that's just one of his attributes. That's just one of his abilities. He can do anything and everything and far beyond what we can even imagine. And he just steps, the angel of the Lord steps between Israel and he steps between the Egyptians, just right in the middle. And to the Egyptians, he's darkness. And to the Israelites, he's light. To their past, he's darkness. Complete and utter darkness. And to their future, he is light. That's where you're going. Not back there. You can't go back there. I've shut it off. I've closed it by my darkness. And he stands between them. And they can't move. He opens the sea. They go through on dry land. And their past tried to follow through. Oh man. God is not going to take kindly or lightly. To when our past tries to follow us through into our future. The Egyptians go through. The Israelites have gone through. On dry ground. And now they're coming through with their chariots. And do you know what God does before he closes the sea on their past? Just to show them he's God. And just to show them really that he knows how things work. He just takes the wheels off their chariots. Oh, talk about messing with people's heads. Don't play with God. Tell you now, he is holy. He is wonderful. He is awesome. He can take the wheels off the chariots. And suddenly there's chaos and confusion. Says to Moses, just lift your staff up. I'm going to close this deal in one second. It's all over. It's all done. Uh, I'm going to stop. I've got too much more to say. Woo! Come on, let's give Jesus a shout this morning.